Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
we continue in our stewardship series, I'll read again a passage we read last Sunday, a portion of it. Athletes who compete go into strict training. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. That's from 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. I have a friend I'll call Bill. Now, how many of you, if I said, hey, let's go run a marathon next weekend, you'd be ready to go? Physically ready to go. I see those hands. Zero. I have a friend, I'll call Bill. Bill wanted to run a marathon. 26.2 miles. The race was about five months away. Bill was overweight. He ate anything he wanted, ate as much as he craved. And Bill was not a very good runner, at least not yet. Bill and I would meet to run on mornings before the sun came up. We had another partner that would join us as well. And the three of us began our running by running one mile. And that was not easy at first. But Bill had an especially difficult time. After a couple of weeks, we lengthened our run to three miles. And every run... Bill would fall behind a little farther, a little farther, and always came in last place. We would finish our race and wait for Bill to catch up. Well, a couple of weeks later, we stretched our run out to five miles, which meant waking up a little earlier. It was difficult for each of us, but Bill would fall behind about a mile. Eventually, the three of us signed up for a local 5K run called the Great Stakes Race, where the winner would get a mess of great steaks that you could cook. Bill was a high school teacher, and a few of his students happened to show up for the run as well. Each of us placed in our age division. Bill was listed as first place among the female runners. That brought a hearty laugh from his students as well, and from all of us. Now, I was the first one to post that gap on Facebook. Next, we signed up for a 10K run in a different town. It was a bigger race. Again, the three of us finished well, but this time we didn't place. This was my last run due to pain, so I began running treadmill at the YMCA. But Bill kept running like Forrest Gump. He just kept running. Bill started preparing for a marathon. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe Bill could run a whole 26.2 miles given his struggle with one, three, and five mile runs. But he changed his diet. He lay off desserts, got more rest, got more water, stayed away from soft drinks. Started running six miles, and then eight, and then ten. He would increase his miles in increments. 
Then 30 to 40 pounds lighter, Bill ran and completed his first marathon. Now, if I heard or told anyone that Bill would run a marathon, they would have laughed me out of town. What happened? He trained. He trained. He worked at running about every day. There was no crowd. There were no ribbons, no rewards or trophies, only the pain, only the love for running, and the goal he had in front of him. The Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Corinth, Greece. These folks would have been very familiar with the Athenaic and the Isthmus Games, and I think we would recognize them as the Olympic Games. He would have been very familiar with the games held not even eight miles from Corinth. For Paul, the games would have happened less than a year prior to his writing this letter. Fresh on their minds, local races, Paul invites Christians to see themselves as athletes. That's us. You're an athlete. And Paul sees himself as an athlete. In that Greco-Roman world, athleticism was highly valued. Sound familiar? Athletes were highly honored. Every major city had an arena. The games had events that mirrored Images of war. Those events were associated with battles, which fit what Paul saw as God's plan. Comedian George Carlin was talking about the spiritual side of baseball once by comparing baseball to the warlike nature of football. He says this, in football, the object is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to hit his receivers with deadly accuracy. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory. In baseball, the object is to go home and to be safe. He's right. This image of battle fits Paul's notion of God's plan like a battle, and Christians have to be fit and ready. And to be the best possible athlete, as one who wins the prize, the most self-discipline and self-control, the master of our bodies. Not everyone knew back then what Paul was talking about, because Paul loved to use those popular athletic analogies to make his spiritual point. His point in this passage is that in order to win, you must train and practice that everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training and punishes their body to make it a slave. Athletes who win are those who discipline themselves and make their bodies their servant, like a master forcing the servant into obedience. Why? Because when the body feels pain and discomfort, it longs to stop, 
to be free to do what it wants that isn't painful. But those who desire to win will control those urges. They'll watch their diet. They'll get their rest. They'll practice. They'll train. They'll push. They'll work. Work hard. Someone once said, championships are won in practice. Championships are won in practice. It's fun to win, I hear. It's fun to win, but it isn't much fun to train and practice. When we win, we're celebrated by crowds and the masses. We receive a trophy or a medal. Maybe we get a parade. We get the celebrity status of being a hero. For some, that translates into money. People cheer for us. They clap for us. They take our pictures. They get our autograph. They admire us. But guess what? None of that happens when you're practicing or in training. Because oftentimes we practice alone with only our mind and our fickle will to push ourselves. And then there's the pain and discomfort. But how will we win a trophy? How will we win the World Series? Championships are won in practice. I've been guilty of watching great athletes play baseball, football, basketball, going out and trying to do what they do. But of course, I'm not a great athlete. I quickly lose heart and I give up. I want the glory of Michael Phelps, who has won 28 gold medals, or 26 gold medals, 28 Olympic medals. I want the glory of Tiger Woods, or the glory of LeBron James, or Tom Brady, the glory of a musician like Yo-Yo Ma, or like Beethoven, the composer. But am I willing to train? Am I willing to put myself through that practice? Popular writer Malcolm Gladwell finds that those who win, like Bill Gates or the Beatles, he says, are those who have put in 10,000 hours or more in practice. Now, some would argue it takes more or less, depending on what you're practicing. But even if he's half right, that's a lot of hours of work. We want to win as a church, too. We want to be successful for God. We want the glory that comes with growing. The numbers, budget, babies, baptism, as they say. We dream of the past glory, of excitement and growth and expansion. But are we willing to train and to put ourselves through that practice? Sometimes we are. I think last Wednesday night was a win. A win, because some of us, a number of people, put themselves through the practice. They met and planned. They coached the rest of us to help invite, to collect pumpkins and decorate trunks. These winners bought supplies. They cooked hot dogs. They packaged the hot dogs. They stayed to clean up. There's no glory in that kind of work the behind-the-scenes kind of work, the day-to-day kind of work, like putting labels on items for a garage sale. But championships are won in practice. And our community outreach last Wednesday night was a win.
It may not be perfect, but unless we practice, almost certainly we will not win. Someone once said, don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you don't get it wrong. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They punish their bodies. There is no glory in training, but championships are won in practice. My Old Testament ethics professor in college was a Renaissance man, and he was my pastor. Jeff Holloway was brilliant in scholarship, compassion, and classical guitar. One evening, he invited me to his house to hear him play a piece on his classical guitar. He played a piece that I hear is tremendously difficult on guitar, a piece from Beethoven. His fingers moved so rapidly and fluidly that I, too, wanted to learn. His breathing was labored, audible. And I said, I want to make that kind of beautiful music myself. So I went out and I bought a classical guitar. And then I went home to practice. And I practiced A, B, C, D, E. I practiced, but no Beethoven. I practiced a second time, C, D, G, no Beethoven. I was so discouraged. I put it back in the case, put the case under my bed, and later I hawked it for an iPod. Because I was bound and determined I was going to hear good music some way. It wasn't going to be for my fingers. I couldn't put the practice in. Legendary basketball and hothead chair-throwing coach. Bobby Knight once said, the key is not the will to win, it is the will to prepare to win. The key is not the will to win, but the will to prepare to win. We all want the glory and we want it instantly, but do we have what it takes, what it costs to prepare to win? In baseball, someone put it this way, no grass stains, no glory, no bruises, no story. Haven't you ever heard a fan in the bleachers after their team won scream, we won, we won. Actually, only those who train and practice and play win. We observers on the sidelines and in the bleachers, watchers from the pews may wear the shirt and cheer, but only those who are in the game win. One day, Jesus went to church, his church, and encountered the reverends, the chief priests and elders, the preachers and the deacons. Now, the reverends were notorious for talking the talk and preaching on Sundays, but not walking the walk. They were what we might call hypocrites at times. They loved to speak in front of crowds, as Jesus reveals. They loved the glory of being important and getting attention, and yet... They were notorious for not practicing their words. As I heard someone say this week, the proof in the pudding is in the eating of the pudding. So Jesus tells a parable about two brothers. It's a critique of those who want the glory but are not willing to put in the practice. One day, father went to his son and said, go into the field and work. The son said, no. Now, farming was hot and exhausting work. They had no tractors back then. It took a lot of energy. And plus, if he had gone to the field to work, then he may have missed that party at his friend's house. 
And if he had gone to work, he might have find it, found it boring and tedious and tiring. Go and work. No. But later he did go. Father went to his other son. Go and work in the field. That son said, yes, father, I go. I, I picture a smile on his father's face. And that his father now finds this son his favorite son. He said the right words. And I feel that this son probably said yes before he counted the cost. To get his father off his back, maybe. To become the favorite son. Make himself feel better about himself. But in the end, the one who used the best words, the right words, failed. He failed, he lost. Because he did not practice what he promised. Which did the will of my father not the one with the best words or who made his father smile or to feel good about himself, but the one who did his father's will. It would be better for us not to pledge or promise any offering or tithe. It would be better for us if we did not promise to give or to serve, to use our best words, to make ourselves feel better in the moment and yet actually give. That would be better than making a nice promise and yet never practicing our promise. Which did the will of the Father? The one who did, not the one who said. The model in that parable never says the right words or writes the best numbers. Because talk is cheap. Better to follow the son who doesn't promise but actually does. Now, championships are won in practice. They're won in the hard, costly work of doing. We all want to win. We all want to feel like a winner. We all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want the glory if we held the Olympic Games only for people who want to win, there would be no one in the bleachers. And there would be no space on the track because we'd all be down there because we all want to win, don't we? Everyone wants to be in the race. If we determine the World Series teams by those who want to win, then every team would be in the World Series. If we determine the winner by judging those who want to be winners, then everyone would win. Instead, we award those who prepare, who train and practice. Because the key is not the will to win, but the will to prepare. Everyone wants to win, even in the church. Let's be honest. What looks like a win to you may not look like a win to me. It may vary, but we want to win for God with God's help. Probably winning looks like more, bigger, and better. No different than how we judge winning on Mondays. But the question is not if we want to win, but will we prepare to win? Will you join us in preparing to win with God's help? As runners who go into strict training, will you join us in preparing to win? But before you say anything, before you use the right words, just go and do. 
God has never had a shortage of promise makers, but there has been a shortage of promise keepers. Maybe don't say anything. Maybe just go and do. Go and serve. Go and give. Let's pray. Lord, you hear our prayer. We want you to win. That's what winning would mean to us. It's for you to win, for your kingdom to grow, for your work to be done, and for you to be worshipped. We want to be those who are faithful, who run the race, who punish our bodies in preparation, who will give behind the scenes, give without recognition and glory, the painful work of sacrifice. Find us faithful today. Help us as we seek to join the race. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app, or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.